I'm Caroline Foran, host of Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast, and I want to tell you about owning it real time. Understanding your anxiety is one thing, but knowing how to move through it as and when it hits you is another. Owning It Real Time is a new series of situation-specific audio guides that comfort and support you when you need it most. Anxiety first thing in the morning? I've got you. Anxious in a social situation? I'm right here. Available now to pre-order on ACAST+. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Foran. This week, my guest is Lucy Gernon. She's a career coach, a mindset expert, and she's working with women in leadership across Ireland and internationally. And we're talking about workplace anxiety. I have circled around this topic in a few episodes this time I'm really honing in with Lucy on some specific questions so when I give talks to different workplaces and I talk about how best to understand your own anxiety and how to manage your own time and help yourself from preventing burnout a question I get back is always well I understand my own anxiety but I'm finding it hard to communicate that to my boss or in my workplace and also what if you're dealing with a boss who has no regard for boundaries and you know wants to work to every hour God sends and you're there trying to put in place your own um, scenario. So a lot of anxiety can come up in merely just trying to communicate anxiety and navigate that in the workplace. So with Lucy, we go through a lot of different scenarios where it's about managing upwards. And also if you're a manager trying to communicate your, your anxiety with your team without wanting to appear unprofessional. And then there's also conflict across colleagues, which we cover as well. There's a lot in this episode and I hope that you find it helpful. I know I certainly did. And for sure, workplace anxiety is one of the biggest sources of anxiety um, that you guys tell me about. So I was really glad to get this episode done. Thank you for listening and make sure and follow me over on Owning It Podcast on Instagram. 
Lucy Gernon, it is such an honor to have you on Owning It, the Anxiety podcast today. Um, I wanted to revisit workplace anxiety because it is a topic that comes up again and again and again. And I figured who better to talk to than a woman who is just dominating, empowering women in the workplace in so many ways. Can you first start by, by telling people a little bit about what you do and how you work with people and women in particular? Well, listen, first of all, thanks so, so much for having me. I think it's absolutely amazing what you're talking about on your show, because anxiety is something personally that I struggle with myself for years. But before I get into that, I suppose I'll just introduce myself, my formal side. So I'm an executive coach and I work with women in leadership roles and I give them powerful tools and strategies to help them to really improve work-life balance, to build their self-confidence and really be the best leaders so that they excel in their career without burning out or missing out on life. Because that's, for me, the most important thing. There's so many leadership coaches out there who I suppose support women in leadership to be more impactful leaders But my whole thing is, well, what about the woman? Like, I don't want women working on the laptop till 11 o'clock at night and not having boundaries and missing out on their life for a corporation that would would replace you in the morning. Let's keep it real if you were to leave. Um, So, yeah, so that's that's kind of what I do. It's so interesting to bring it back to that, because I think for so long, you know, if you look at history of women joining the workforce and, you know, back after the war, when we we went to work because men were at war and then it wasn't really until like, I think the seventies or something that we we joined in our droves to, to work because we wanted to work. But for so long, women had to work twice as hard to be taken half as seriously as a man. So we're putting in those extra hours. We're, you know, pretend working like we don't have a family and trying to have family like we don't have work. Um, and there's always been a lot more pressure on women, let's be honest. Um, but now, you know, years later, Later, we're seeing the impact of all of that burnout, which is just not helping anyone. And it's not also not helping helping the company that you're working for, whether it's your own business or a com- another company, because no one no one benefits when we're all burnt out. Um, but it is a shift away from that, you know, work hard, play hard, have to be seen to be at the desk to be doing something mentality, isn't it? Yeah, 100 percent. I think you're, you're so, so right. Like, you know, you have to remember we're in an age where we we have seen the shift. Like so, I mean, our you know, my mother, for example, you know, she worked in the 70s, but when she had her children, she didn't work, you know, and she stayed at home. And I know, you know, there was a group of women, obviously, who did go out to work. But in my experience, the majority of kind of especially Irish mothers, a lot of them would would have played the role of kind of staying at home. And I think it's very much this generation, like our generation um, and even just the generation before us, maybe are starting to really you know, decide, you know what, I I want to work and I have so much value to add. And that's the thing that kills me, particularly about women in leadership. Um, Obviously, you know, everything we're going to talk about will apply to anyone really. But in particular, women in leadership, the McKinsey Women in Workplace report last year, the 2021 report came out. And there was two areas that they said that corporates needed to focus on. One was diversity and inclusion, which is obviously a huge um, area. And the other one was supporting women in leadership. And the report basically, you know, surveyed thousands and thousands of women across corporate America. And the things that came up were women were bearing more of a burden than men, um, shouldering more of a burden. And because men outnumber women two to one in the leadership space, it meant that women were literally shouldering double the load right so obviously women do what we call say the office housework organizing the meetings the team events and taking care of everybody and a lot of that is kind of thankless Mm. and then this year I really wasn't surprised to see that the report came out just last week in October 
And this year's report is showing that women are now leaving the corporate world at the highest level we have ever seen. And that for every one woman who gets promoted to director, there are two women at the same level leaving. So there's a massive, massive problem in the corporate space in a sense that women are kind of going, do you know what? Life is too short. I am not staying here anymore. I cannot do this anymore. And they're 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 creating better options for themselves, which is exactly what I did um, when I left the corporate world. Yeah. So it seems like we're getting to a point where we realize and the same holds for, for anxiety in general. You know, we we know that we're burnt out. We know it's not sustainable. We know it's too much. But is the system there complementary to us stepping back in a way that means we can still work? We can still achieve. We can still, you know, have the spinning plates. We can still have time with our family. Like it's probably not there yet. And that's why people like you are so instrumental in helping people find that balance, um, which seems so elusive. So for, I mean, there's a whole other conversation there around, you know, the gender and uh, genderism at work and all those different issues. But for the nature of this podcast, I want to bring it back to to anxiety. So I think from all of the episodes I've done and from all the feedback I get, something that comes up again and again is is handling anxiety in the workplace. Um, and it's it's men and women and it's women working with other women as well as not just women working with men. Um, so first of all, I think something that has come up like a lot when I've done corporate talks recently and when I like yourself you know go in and talk about how to better understand anxiety and then they're like okay but I do understand it but how do I how do I put that across in work in a way that's not going to negate my professionalism because there's such a fear there of seeming like you're not capable or you're not up to the task or that you know because we still have this um stigma around it being linked to kind of weakness or you know oh maybe don't give her the promotion she's not able for it or don't give him the promotion he's not able for it trying to navigate that in the workplace and communicate that you're having a hard time with your higher ups is is such like I I never have like a concise answer and also probably because I've been so long out of the game where I haven't been working in an office I'm just working for myself and I find it you know very very easy to advocate for myself because I'm just a one-woman show so if we can start by talking about people managing upwards when they're trying to you know carve out space for themselves and and, and manage their workload in a way that will they can communicate with their higher-ups and then we might flip it to when you're the person in the position of power I think I suppose from a managing up perspective. Okay, so first, first we have to go back to what's causing the anxiety, right? So I mean, I have a science background. Actually, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry for um about 17, 18 years. So I always think with the science. So I always go back to say the root cause. So as you well know, you know, your thoughts are the most powerful thing that control every single one of us. And you know, you have 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day and 90 percent of those, th- those thoughts are the same as yesterday. So if you're thinking, you know, on if you're thinking unhelpful thoughts about your workload, for example, and about what your boss is going to think and about what will they think if you're literally you're literally wasting your energy because you are not using it to, I suppose, put it towards something that's actually going to change anything. Right. So I fully, first of all, understand anxiety. I went for CBT myself um, years ago. I was a super high achiever. I was a perfectionist. I had a lot of stuff I needed to unpack. And this was all when I worked in the corporate world. So I really do understand what it's like to live with, you know, I suppose, clinical anxiety, first of all, in a corporate space. And secondly, to want to really, you know, you want to impress your boss. You want to be seen as doing a great job. So I suppose the first thing I'd say is if you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed about your workload, first of all, 
first thing you need to do is aside from the anxiety is first you need to you need to learn to prioritize as as a first right so before we you know i'm going to make it we're not i'm not going to make any assumptions that everyone is doing everything right because usually they're not okay so i would say the first thing to do is you need to learn to prioritize and i actually have a free guide we can link in the show notes um and in that free guide it's called um five strategies to take control of negative self-talk and work-life balance and in it one of the one of the strategies is prioritization okay so I use a matrix called the powerhouse prioritization matrix. And there's basically four filters that you need to run your workload through. Okay. The first one is the must do's. So these are the things that you absolutely must do today, or there's going to be significant consequences if it's not done. For example, a KPI related issue, like a metric thing or a complaint or something that specifically, you know, has to get done today or, you know, something catastrophic is going to happen. Um, the second one then is your could do's. So this is your strategic stuff that you that are it's really, really important for you to do it, but it might not be today. But if you don't do it today, you might have to do it tomorrow. So things your could do's might be you might um, you could do a one to one with your, your team member, but it doesn't have to be done today because the business won't fall down. But it's very important. Right. So that's just an example of that one. The other two then is where a lot of people spend a lot of their time, which is in the don't want it bucket and the stop it bucket. So in the don't want it, that's all of the other people's priorities. So a lot of anxiety, I believe, comes from us trying to please everybody, as we all know, and it's focusing on other people's priorities. So, you know, those people who come to you and they're like, oh, my God, I needed to get this done. I needed to drop everything. This is so important. But you have 10 other people saying the same thing to you. And because maybe this one particular person might have a very strong personality, you feel intimidated into supporting them. Especially if they're your if they're who you're reporting to. Exactly. But sometimes your boss doesn't know everything. And this is where communication comes in, is that, again, it depends on your boss's working style, if they're directives or compassionate, whatever way they are. You need to understand how your boss ticks. You need to understand how they communicate. You need to understand how they think. And most importantly, what's important to your boss. And then you need to be able to, you need to be able to, I suppose, have the balls to actually and the courage to stand up for yourself if you believe your boss is kind of telling you to do something that really isn't going to add as much value as the thing you know you need to do today. Mm -hmm. And how you do it is, is you take yourself out of it. You take the emotion out of it and you bring it back to the business objective. So always bring it back to the data. Always bring it back to the business. Don't ever bring it back to I'm, fe- you know, how I'm feeling because it depends on your boss. It some again, it goes back to knowing your boss. Some bosses will care. I would have been one of them if one of my team had come to me and said, "Look, I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling anxious with my workload." I would have worked through it with them. But I know not everyone's like that. So you've got to. I suppose, under, know your audience, I guess, um, and then come up with a plan to be able to handle them. Mm. And what would be, I mean, because this is a question that I got asked a lot. It's like, you know, okay, for example, someone in Google was telling me, w- without naming names, they were saying, my boss is like someone who, you know, expects me to be chained to the desk all day. They they really, you know, ex- they, they equate being um, visible at work with you know, productivity and output and that your success is so linked to the amount of time you're putting into it. Um, and they are of the, they're kind of of an old school mentality that, you know, if you have to cry, go outside, which I think we've all kind of grown up being conditioned to, to believe that. How, where do you start with a manager like that? Because that to me would, 
it would take whatever anxiety is tangible in work, like whether it's, you know, okay, I've got this deadline or something dealing with someone who so doesn't understand you, who has such a different style of leadership that, that doesn't allow for your anxiety that would send me into like another realm of anxiety. Mm. I think the first thing to do Caroline is, and one thing, you know, I was taught in my coach training is that we make a lot of assumptions. Okay. So I suppose in terms of the, the brain's order of priority is number one is survival of the species. But the second one is conservation of energy because our brains need energy to run our body. So a one way that we conserve energy is we make a lot of assumptions. So in many cases, we are making, in, we are interpreting and assuming all the time, all the time. And if if this particular person said, you know, my boss is, is saying this, I would really challenge them to, you know, ask them kind of questions like, well, how do you know that that's the case? Like, what evidence have you got? Has your boss specifically told you specifically told you that if you're not chained to the desk you're not performing because you know some culture again I've been there right I've been there at all different types of bosses but I remember one particular girl that worked for me actually and I would have been that that I suppose in my in my junior management kind of career not spiraling but like in caught up in the vortex and caught up in the conditioning and the institutionalization that happens into feeling that this is how it had to be and this particular girl was really technically competent she was excellent at her role but when five o'clock came she walked out the door and you know I used to look at her sometimes and she'd be going out the door and I I, I used to feel resentful I did because I was the one sitting there but that was my problem but what she it, what actually happened was she taught me that it was okay to actually, do you know what? I can actually be an amazing performer and leave leave at five o'clock. So it's about adding value while you're there. That's the most important thing is like, don't, when you're in work, to me, you're there to work. You're there to add value, get your job done. And you need to, you need to focus. Whereas a lot of people feel it's easier just to talk about what's going on. It's easier just to rant and rave and give out about this person and that person. What would it be like if you use that energy to put it into your work? What might be different for you if you channeled it into not thinking about all that stuff, but into producing something so you can go home guilt free? Because I think a lot of the time we we don't want to leave because we know we haven't done enough. OK, and for example, if someone is doing that, like the girl you're saying, and they're super competent and they're getting their work done, they're really efficient and they're like, oh, I'm out of here at five o'clock. And I'm so impressed if someone is able to do that, because that takes balls in a, in a world where we 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 believe that being seen to stay late or as late as the boss is, you know, going to earn us more brownie points. If that person leaves and then the boss pulls up and says, listen, like I notice you've been like running out the door at 5 p.m., like, you know, kind of need you to be a bit more committed. How would they respond to that? Would you kind of go in saying, well, look, here's what I achieved. And how, how would you communicate your boundary when that's not their boundary? Yeah, so I, that's a great question. I really do believe it's all about back to adding value. So if you've got a, first of all, you always have a choice, right? So sometimes we think we don't have a choice if you're not, if you are really in a toxic environment, right, and you've tried to talk to your boss and you know in your heart and soul that you're doing everything you can when you're there to get, get the work done um, and it's not getting done and you've tried talking and nothing's happening, well, then you really do have a decision to make. Do I stay or do I go? And if you, in your heart of hearts, don't believe nothing, anything is going to change, I mean, you need you need to walk out the door because nothing might change, you know, nothing might change. But if you know deep in your heart that there are things that you need to work on, 
um, yourself that maybe some of this is your own narrative and some of it is your own stuff. Some of it is maybe perfectionism is massive with some people, especially in the technical space. If you're a perfectionist, maybe you're procrastinating a lot of the time. Maybe you're rereading emails before you send it. That's all non-value add activity. That's all the stuff we want to stop. So, you know, you kind of need to look at yourself first. You need to look at, I, I always think, you know, think about the li- the limiting beliefs that are, are and the story you're telling yourself um, because you really have been conditioned and institutionalized, but there is another way of looking at things. And the other thing I'd say is, identify the key people who have a hold over you so like you mentioned Caroline it's you know it's usually your boss but in some cases it might be there's usually one to between one and three really key people that I see that would tend to have a hold over people and that's where the power dynamic kind of comes in so yeah I don't know I think I'm waffling now am I yeah no 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 it's great (laughs) um okay so if if we take the anxiety situation away from work and say like for example um when I went to uh when I went to work for Image magazine, which I did work for, I don't know if you knew that, uh, for a few years, many, many moons ago, I came in there after having had this experience of burnout and I was really suffering with anxiety. Like I had a full breakdown. And when I went in there, I was very fortunate because like I felt like I had no other choice but to say, listen, I've been dealing with all of this um in my life it's really it's been really hard on me and I for me if I had gone in there and said no I'm fine everything's fine I know I would have completely fallen apart trying to live up to the pressure that that trying to live up to I guess the imposter syndrome would have gotten me because I would have been putting out a version of myself that really wasn't how I was feeling so for me it was probably out of desperation that I was like listen this is where I'm at take me or leave me but I'm still incredibly competent I'm a great writer and I can do this that and the other but I don't particularly feel right now like I want to be front and center doing cartwheels hosting events now I was really lucky that I went into an environment where you know, the boss I was going to was really receptive to that and had, you know, her own, a lot of her own stuff. And she showed me her vulnerability and I showed her mine. Um, but so two two questions here. The first one, how, how would someone go about communicating that they have a lot going on in their life and that what they might normally be able for and their, their normal output and their normal level of um, efficiency and resilience is actually has been compromised and they want to communicate because they actually care about the work and they want their boss to know and maybe their boss can help them or just be a little bit more understanding so how how would they how is the best way to communicate that without kind of talking yourself into seeming like you're not capable Mm. I think you just need to tell the truth Caroline I think exactly what you did you know I've done that myself you need to not overthink it. If you're, if you really are overwhelmed and if you have other life things that are going on, you've got to communicate that to your boss. And no matter, no matter how, you know, you're lucky you had a really great experience. I did too. I've had to communicate that two or three times throughout my career. And I think it's really important to own it, you know, not to excuse the pun for your, for your, your podcast, but I do, I think it's really important to own it. And if you're, if you are struggling, you know, most companies, genuinely you know a lot they have all these eap initiatives there's always support there so i think yeah absolutely like you need to communicate it and especially if you have been a high performer and you're known for what you do this is not going to affect your career if anything it's going to gain your respect because vulnerability is and and courage kind of go hand in hand right like the whole Brene brown thing i think it's really important to yeah to actually share that with your with your manager you don't need to suffer alone life's way too short 
Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think it's also really important um, the way, like if we do decide that we're going to communicate it the way we do, because the language is so important. Like if we, same with when I, when I was talking to my husband about how I was feeling, if I had to come to him and said, oh my God, like I've had a panic attack and oh my God, he would have reacted like, oh my God, Jesus, like what's going on. Eventually I realized that I had to normalize it because this was my experience. And I had to say, he would say, how, how are you today? And I said, yeah, you know, all right, like I actually had a bit of a wobble earlier. I had felt a bit panicky. Um, but then, you know, I went for lunch, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, okay, like, what would you like to do now? Do you want to sit down and watch TV? Or do you want to talk about it? And we brought it down to a level that it was so normal and so ordinary um, that it took the horns off it for me. And I really think that something that I've been saying when I've been giving talks to people is, is that it, it's kind of on all of us to start normalizing anxiety and, and the mental health struggles with the language that we use that we don't come and say oh Jesus like I'm falling apart here I've had a wobble we all have that stress we all deal with it in some shape or form and we need to get to a point where saying it doesn't feel like we're saying we're revealing you know some horrible secret about ourselves that's going to derail our career and um, if anything I feel that my career has been enhanced by the willing to own my vulnerability but I know that it's I know that's easy for me to say because I've made that my work you know but it is, it is, I think, getting to a point of being willing to say, this is how I'm feeling and just I want to communicate that, but then knowing how to communicate it um, in a way that's going to be make you feel like you're not coming with a load of problems. Um, and it's something that I'll also that I find helpful is when, you know, when when your boss is coming to you and saying, you know, or if you want to go to your boss and you're saying, I've, you know, I've got too much on my plate and I'm feeling overwhelmed, to go in with not just a load of complaints, but like, try to bring it back to like a solution like so in a way turning the vulnerability into something that's useful for the company by saying listen I'm doing this this x y and z I think I need to put my energy here this is probably not as much good use of my time um because I want to better the company here is a here's a workable solution that I want to put to you and to me that makes it more 
Like it actually requires confidence and it shows confidence to bring that vulnerability to the table. And um, I don't know, would you agree with that? Oh yeah, 100%. I think that's brilliant what you do, what you just said is uh, absolutely. But the only other thing I'd add is sometimes when you're, when you're super overwhelmed, right, you can't see a solution. And if you can see the solution, absolutely. That's, that's what we all want, right? As, as leaders, you want your team coming to you with a solution. But I, I remember years ago when I, I was really struggling at the time badly with, with my own anxiety outside of work and then you know throw in work on top of it it was a lot and I remember my workload was just through the roof because we were kind of only starting out and we ended up hiring loads of people um, and this is the thing is you know the age-old thing we don't have enough resources nobody has enough resources right so you know you have to kind of just look at it so what I ended up doing was um I ended up doing a one-page kind of PowerPoint slide it was like a four up slide where I, I looked at the data again. I can't emphasize that enough. If you if you're if you're dealing with people who, you know, business people, it depends again on knowing your manager. If they're not into the feely stuff, let's say you need to try to speak their language as best you can. So I went and I looked at my own capacity and this is something I do with my own clients as well. I have a tool that I use to help understand capacity. You've got to understand where you're spending your time. And I was able to show like, look, this is the percentage of time I'm spending in meetings. I've already over the past month declined 20 percent and I'm I'm doing X, Y and Z to try and improve it. Right. And this is the number of documents that have come through my desk in the last X and show them the data, because honestly, most people, they don't we don't understand feelings. We understand your logical mind is trying to rationalize based on logic, not on feeling. Right. So I think it's really important that I remember the, the I went above my boss. Actually, I actually spoke to my boss and she had said, go to the the guy ahead because he's he's the guy who hires and I went in with my very simple thing that I got one of my friends to review and it clearly showed when I showed him the number it was hundreds of documents he was like how are we generating so much so many documents and I said because this is the business that we're in like this is it they don't understand your job they don't understand what's actually what it takes to get your job done so I think it's your job to make your manager, your boss understand the challenges that you face as well as the good stuff. Um, and that's where you can kind of open up the dialogue. OK, I want to throw another scenario at you now. Um, yeah. So we've talked about the the employee trying to communicate with the boss. What if the employee is having an issue with a colleague? Um, I have been there. I think we've all been there where there's been some toxic uh, relationship in work that has been really 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 hard to deal with um how is that best approached sometimes I think well I think what happens to me is I keep thinking oh I'll give them another chance like maybe that, that was just an off day and and then like the path the pattern of behavior keeps repeating and then I'm like okay do I do I do I go and talk to the person who's causing the problem or because you end up being passive aggressive then because you're trying to because the confrontation is so hard or do you go straight to your manager how what is the best approach there because that is such a source of anxiety for people Mm. So, yeah, look, at one thing that we we need to teach our children is how to deal with conflict. We're not taught how to do it. And, you know, we a lot of people avoid it at all costs. But you end up suffering when you don't do that. And conflict, a lot of people aren't really afraid of conflict. They're actually afraid of standing by their boundaries and their sense of self. So what I would say is, again, it, it's really not a one size fits all Caroline, you know, it, it depends on the person and, you know, the dynamic. But what I always recommend first is definitely, definitely try speak to the person directly. Whatever you're afraid of is, is not going to happen. So I would always go, right, what's the worst thing that could happen if I approach this person? Well, they're going to say that they don't want to listen to me. OK, and then what happens? 
Like nothing happens, right? Or, or they get defensive. But what happens to you? Nothing happens, right? You're safe. So this is all going back to your, you know, your own mindset and that primitive part of your mind that's, you know, you're in fight or flight when you're in these situations. So you need to calm your mind down, have a little chat with yourself and say, look, nothing's going to happen to me here. I say this all the time. I'm safe. Just tell yourself I'm safe. This is just a conversation. I would genuinely try and approach it with the person first. So I always teach if you're if you need to have a difficult conversation, I recommend a three step method. I call it the set method. So set the S is set the scene. So it's really important that you get clear on what you want the outcome of the conversation to be. So if you're going into a conversation to air how how they're making you feel and, you know, rant and rave at them. Well, that's not going to get you anywhere. Right. It's not going to get you anywhere. You need to understand what do I, what's the ideal state here. So if the ideal state is I want us to be able to work together as colleagues. Right. You need to try and learn to silence that chimp in your mind and, you know, put your ego aside. If that's what you really want, if you want to be able to work with a person. OK, so now you're going into the conversation with, right, I'm going to be the bigger person here. I want to be able to work with this person. That's where I'm going. So I'm going to put my ego aside. I'm going to expect that they're going to be defensive because that gives me power because I'm expecting this and that's going to happen, but that's okay. So I would say, get really clear on that. Um, e then is execute. So this is where you obviously have the conversation. So I would send them an email or an, an IM or a ping, whatever you call it. Or if you, if you feel comfortable, if you just catch them casually, I wouldn't make a big deal if you see them and just say, listen, can I have a chat with you for five minutes? And that's when I feel like my my cortisol would shoot through the roof being like, what's this about? <laughs> yeah, and, and it will. But that's what gives you power because you know this is going to happen, right? So you're always telling yourself, oh, there it is now. That's exactly, this is, it's happening exactly as I had planned. So that's going to make you feel like you're more in control of the situation. This is not easy to do, but is it better to sit at home at nighttime, like thinking and losing sleep over a person who really is not worth your time or you know, you're again, you remember, you only have so much energy in a day. And if you're giving all of this thought and energy to this person, what are you saying no to? You know, um, so I would say you have the conversation and then T is is the time. So it's really important when you're having this conversation, you need to make sure it's an appropriate time. So, you know, don't do the conversation straight after a stress, stressful meeting or on a Monday morning when the person, when you know everyone is busy, you've got to be strategic about it and pick the right time and know the outcome. And if you follow those steps and if you just, just imagine, you know, imagine yourself having the conversation, visualize it going well, go back to, I'm the bigger person here and I'm going to try to resolve this. Try it that way. If that doesn't work, absolutely. You need to go to your manager. And I've had to deal with that tons of times when I was um, in a leadership role. Okay. Really helpful. Um, okay, let, now let's talk about the leadership positions. So, I mean, they're still not without their fair share of anxiety, maybe. I mean, if anything, it just probably gets trickier because everyone has to answer to someone, uh, you know, no, no matter where you are in the in the chain. Um, but it can be very, very hard to experience anxiety and, you know, bring that into work with you and then have like a group of 10 people who are depending on you and looking for you to you know, lead the charge and motivate them and inspire them when you're barely holding it together. I would love to get your insight there in in approaches for managers to be able to, I don't know, really just bring the like allow allow their anxiety to to just 
release a pressure valve in a way that's helpful and um, that isn't going to undo all of their um the the kind of view that people have of them but then I also think that people look at managers and expect them to be kind of bulletproof and that's not really helping anyone either yeah absolutely I think the most important thing and one thing that I would be known for is my authenticity and being genuine um I was always like that when I led led teams and as a result I had an extremely low attrition rate I think I had one permanent team member leave in my whole time in leadership and that's because I built genuine connections and genuine relationships and I allowed myself to be vulnerable. So, for example, one thing I'd recommend leaders do, it helps you and your team. If you have, say, a morning team meeting, like a quick huddle or whatever, um, or a weekly team meeting, just at the very start of the meeting, just go around the room and just say, how's everyone feeling today in a scale of one to ten? And you just go around and all you have to say is like one, three, ten, whatever. And what that does is it helps you to gauge how your team are feeling. It helps everyone else to know how their peers are feeling and you get to have your say. So, you know, if you're going to introduce doing something like this, how I did it was I, you know, I brought my team together and I said, look, I understand everyone has pressures outside of work. I understand people are dealing with a lot and, you know, we want to be able to work together as a team. We want to be able to support one another. And if you're having a bad day, I don't want to be giving you extra work on that day. But if I don't know you're having a bad day, I'm not going to be able to handle that. So they were all, you know, introduced the topic to it. Um, and it was really, really good because you don't need to get into conversations with people about oh, why are you only a one? That was a rule we put in place. It was right. We just say the number we are and then everyone respects that and we just support that person if needed. And that can be really, really powerful because you you can say if you're at a two or a three, and I would have had my team come to me and say, OK, what can we do to help you today? OK, that's really interesting because you're you're kind of broaching the the humanity of it without having to divulge everything. So there's still an element of control. Yeah. A trap that I have fallen into many a time. Um, I, I was before I was um a manager and I had a team of people who were kind of the same age as me. Um, and then recently with with one of the minders we had, I fall into this trap where I am so eager to be like the fun manager that's the person who gets the person who's compassionate and is empathetic to their whatever they're going they have going on I end up kind of being taken advantage of a little bit sometimes um and I I think it's really it's a really slippery slope between being super understanding and the person that they can go to and then also blurring the lines between employer and employee and still having to then turn back on the employee hat or the employer hat and say I I need x y and z from you Mm-hmm. it's a really tricky space to get into like I did feel it when I was like I know that you're suffering but I need to know if you're going to be here because I need my child to be minded mm. yeah it, it is it is tricky and you know leadership management is is really hard because there is a balance between compassion and being supportive and also getting the job done but I, I will say I remember years ago I had a when I again starting out my management career I, I made a big mistake and this taught me a lot. Um, this particular girl who worked for me, I met her and she said, listen, my dad's just been taken into hospital. Um, like he he's OK, but I, I really need to leave. Um, and she was, you know, she was in a bit of a tiz. Her dad's just been taken to hospital. And the first thing that popped into my mind, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say it was, oh my God, who's going to take over her work today? And I said it to her. I said, OK, like, of course you can go. But I mean, like, will you be back? To I said something like really insensitive, like, will you be back tomorrow or who will I get to do your work? It was just kind of came out. Um, and of course, I was supportive of her going. 
But then when I spoke to her afterwards, and again, this is another really important thing. I always asked my team for feedback, always, always, always. And I was prepared to take the good, the bad and the ugly, even though it's so hard to do. And this particular girl had the courage to say to me, listen, when that happened last month, when I had to leave and her dad was fine, you know, you you said who's going to do my work. And that made me feel that, you know, the job is more important than me. And one of my top values is actually is um family. So that really upset me because I didn't, you know, when you're in that management role, sometimes you say stupid things and things like that. So that just taught me always look after your people first. Always look after your people, because if you do, they will do everything for you tenfold. So if something goes late because somebody's sick or somebody needs to take the day off, so be it. No one's going to die. That's a question I always ask myself. Is anyone going to die if I don't do this? The answer is no. Just let it go. I think that's like really important and a really fair point. But I do think there are probably some people who can feel the the empathetic nature of someone and you know there's people who are piss takers let's be honest you know and they might take advantage they might be like oh like she won't mind if I'm late today because she gets it or you know she won't mind and then it happens again and again and you're like okay I was you know leaning the first few times but now I need to be like how do I communicate that you know okay these bad things happened and I was there for you but you're taking the piss a bit yeah you need to have very strong boundaries like you need to be very clear as a leader that especially if you say if a two new team member starts, I would have always say had a little meeting and say, OK, these are my expectations. Of you. This is so important, by the way. So, so important. These are my expectations of you. Ask them what are their expectations of you, vice versa. Make it a, an unofficial or you can get them to sign something if you want um, if it's OK with your policies. What's your what's your agreement for working together? And in that, I would say, look, I have an expectation that you come to work on time. That was always one of them. Of course, things happen, but, you know, I need you to be here on time every day. By just even saying that when you're starting out the conversation, you're setting the tone. So it's really important you kind of start out that way. Now, if you've gone too far and things, you have somebody who's taken the piss, I would 100%, you know, as my husband says to me, I think about it all the time, put your big girl pants on, right? Big girl pants on, call the person into a room. Remember, you're you're the leader. It's your job to sort this out. It doesn't mean you're a bad person by being direct with somebody and just say, listen, I've noticed that you're late. First of all, and ask the question like what's going on, because like going back to what we're talking about, that person could be dealing with something you've no idea about. So get curious with them, give them the benefit of the doubt and then then just get tell them you know tell them how it is look i need you to be here on time if if it's a thing that they're struggling with something then you know you obviously get to make the call about what to do in that situation mhm okay interesting um talking about the kind of questions to ask or the to to set out your stall before you get going in a job if someone is going into a new job now for me if i was to imagine myself in that position i fe- i feel like i've had a couple of toxic experiences to the point that it, it's put me off ever joining the corporate world again now I know not everywhere is the same um, but I think if you have one or two bad experiences it just can be a bit it can probably feel a lot more scary so I can't see myself going back into that world anytime soon but if I did I know that I would have to be so upfront about listen like what's the culture what's the style here like what I am not going to work myself into the ground every night. Like I'm, I have, I'm going to leave at five. And also like, I feel like I, I automatically was about to say like, I have a kid, I'm going to go home. But like, I don't have to have a kid to be able to go home and live my life. Um, what, what questions should someone ask or how should they communicate at the outset their 
their boundaries and their priorities in, in a way that isn't going to say, oh, look, she's going to be too difficult. Yeah, I think it's the world is changing so, so rapidly, like since the pandemic in particular. So I would say, first of all, you need to do your research on the company more and more like this. Gen, the generation coming up behind us, what is it, Gen X, I think, is it? I, I lost track. <laughs> Gen something. But I know Gary, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V, he's making all his predictions. He's saying that companies in the next 10 years are going to find hard find it hard to get graduates to work for any less than 100 grand because they know they can make just as much money making videos on TikTok at home in their pajamas, right? So I think the world is changing in the sense that the companies had so much power, whereas now I do honestly think it's starting to turn to the employees because people are leaving at rapid rates. So employers are going to have to really start looking at their culture and, and you know, practicing what they preach. But I think if you feel like it's a right culture fit, you need to look at the company's values. First of all, you need to understand your own values. See, do they align and realize you actually have choices. And the other thing I'd say is, you know, for example, I had a, I studied science, right? I have a master's degree in biotechnology. And now I work in the self-development, professional development, leadership development arena. I changed pivoted career completely because I want this is what I wanted to do. So I would say don't discount you know, you have transferable skills. So for example, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry. I thought I'd live and die there. I thought that's all I would ever do. But that was a complete and utter limiting belief that I had. I know people who have worked in banks who now work in Meta. I know people who work in PayPal that used to work in, in a tech company or in a pharmaceutical company. So just don't limit yourself when you're looking at your options to the industry you're in. Think about the skills you have. Talk to people that you know and find something that's going to work for you, your values and your life. Yeah. Of all the women that you've worked with so far and all of the, the talks and, and seminars you've given, what do you see as the biggest source of anxiety in the workplace? The biggest source of anxiety in the workplace is, is, is our own stuff. It is, it's, it's our own stuff. It's linking our own sense of self to our achievements. It is wanting to please others. So my whole thing is that the thing that's going to set you free from all of that is doing the inner work and finding the root cause of why you are the way you are. So one one thing I do with my one to one clients is um I don't know if you heard of Shirzad Shemaine, but he does all this work. He's a Stanford lecturer and he does all this work on mindset and saboteurs. So we all have these saboteurs um, and one of them is the hyper achiever. And this obviously all goes back to, all goes back to childhood, but all of this anxiety comes from usually wanting to achieve, wanting to please others. It's all looking externally for your sense of self, you know, you're gaining your sense of worthiness and validation from your achievements and from what others think. Whereas I think if you really do the work on yourself, which is hard and it takes years, um, that's where you're kind of going to set yourself free. That's what I think anyway. It's really helpful. Um, a really interesting perspective. Lucy, thank you so much for giving me so many insights. I know some of these questions are hard to answer in a in a very concise way because it's every it's, like you said, there's no size fits all and it's really situational. Um, but I hope that people will get the confidence to advocate for themselves, whether they're the manager or whether they're the employee. And I really, I really love the, the tip about going around the circle and just giving a number. I think that's really powerful. Um, because I think that that's kind of like a little way of diffusing tension that someone might have brought to work with them in a way that they can say, look, I'm here as I am. This is showing up, but maybe I'm not at the top of my game today. And that's okay. It doesn't mean 
you know I'm not good enough it doesn't mean I'm gonna do a bad job and so that's really like something really actionable as well if people want to learn more I mean you mentioned so many different resources and um, little acronyms and stuff where can people find you so you can find me on LinkedIn or Instagram so it's just Lucy Garnon L-U-C-Y-G-E-R-N-O-N um, I have a podcast as well called Powerhouse Revolution, which is available on all platforms, which is for women in leadership roles, where I talk a lot about all this mindset stuff and leadership and productivity. Um, and yeah, I have a free guide that I mentioned as well. Maybe I'll send it to you, Caroline, you can link it. But if you just go to the homepage of my website, lucygarnon.com, G-E-R-N-O-N, you'll see um, there's a couple of buttons there where you can download the guide. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been so helpful. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Caroline. I really, really appreciate your time. And I hope your listeners got something from today anyway. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.